You're listening to the Ikra Book Festival 2021, bringing you fresh and innovative content in literature and authorship. Brought to you by the Art and Radio Ramadan 365. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back uh, to the Ikra Book Festival 2. Uh, the Revenge. Uh, we're back again, alhamdulillah, uh, for uh, year two of the book festival. And inshallah, if God wills it, uh, we will be able to continue for a number of years. But uh, and there's a lot of work that goes in the background here. I'm saying that um, with a fantastic team here, um, Maizun and Nadim and so many others that put so much effort in today's uh, uh, um, festival. Uh, off to a fantastic start. We've already had, if you've missed, if you've missed her, we started off, we opened the festival with Dr. Sadia Muhammad, our, our own local writer uh, uh, and uh, um, presenter. Uh, she was talking about her book, Secrets to Infinite Success and 99 Lessons for Young Muslims. And that was followed up by Shrivani Basu, who uh, many of you have known from last year, but also one of the most uh, you know, um, influential, famous uh, writers here in the UK um, uh, about her, one of her books, one of her uh, many books, but one was about, about Victoria and Abdul, the Munshi, um, an incredibly important character in uh, British history, uh, one that establishes Muslims as a uh, as a force to be uh, to be reckoned with and to understand that we have a depth here in the UK as British Muslims. Uh, very important. If you haven't uh, read that book or if you hadn't uh, you haven't seen anything on the Munshi and his life, then please do so. So we're going to move straight on uh, to our, our next session from one important historical character, probably to one of the most uh, politically influential characters uh, in the Indian subcontinent and the world, let's be honest here, um, a, a, a life of a man who, who actually changed probably 90% of the people that are probably listening or watching today uh, in some form or other, uh, and introduce the author and uh, uh, the book itself. Uh, we have uh, Brother Muntazir uh, Sattar. And uh, Muntazir is... Um, a freelance researcher himself, uh, an anthropologist, uh, which in itself sounds fascinating. So we don't have enough uh, um, anthropologists. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, uh, heartened to see uh, people like yourself taking on that kind of uh, a role. Uh, you're based in London uh, for your sins, uh, and uh, you're currently working on a collection of essays uh, on uh, and by Black Muslims in Britain. I, I am genuinely going to um, set up a side festival at Montezer of the of, of the interviewers because we just had Jahan Mahmoud, who's writing a book about Muslim boys who fought Hitler. Uh, you're writing a, a, a what sounds like an interesting, uh, very collection collection of essays on Black Muslims. So, but we don't have a chance to to cover it today, sadly. So I'm going to set up a side festival uh, the the. the, the uh, um, fringe, Ikra Fringe Festival, I think, uh, with you guys, uh, get you on, inshallah, we'll have the chance to talk to you in more detail. But Montezer, I'll pass on to you uh, to talk about our next author for today. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Good afternoon, or good morning, or good evening. Um, I, I am privileged to introduce Yasser Al-Fandani. Um, it's this is third, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's his thir third or fourth third book, um, and uh, I'm going to just do a quick introduction and then invite him to read uh, for a few minutes from his book. Uh, Yasser Luki Pandani is an advocate of the High Courts of Pakistan and a member of the Honorable Society of Indian in London. He was also a visiting fellow at Harvard Law School's Human Rights Program for the 2017 and 2018 academic year. I can go 
I can go much further. There's much more to say about, about Yasser, but I think I would do uh, more justice by giving him the platform to read from his book for a few moments and then go to a little Q&A afterwards. Thank you so much for that effusive praise and uh, a really honored to be here at the Ikra Festival. So um, yes, go ahead, Yasser, please read from, uh, from Jinnah and, uh, and you know, take your time, take a few minutes, and then after that, we'll start a bit of a Q&A, okay? Okay. Um, all right, I'm going to read about his relationship, essentially, which is of great political importance. I'm going to read about his relationship with his wife, who was 25 years younger than him and was a Parsi. And uh, this was actually, this marriage caused a, a bit of a scandal in Bombay because having a Parsi wife and then, um, you know, having sort of a, a certain public image that Jinnah had, uh, this was a very interesting point in his life. So I'm going to just recount that. Uh, it is in February, 1918, Rati turned 18 years old and her father, Sir Dinshaw Petit, couldn't stop the two from getting married. The marriage ceremony took place at Jinnah's house at Southcourt, which was a Goanese-style bungalow built in the second half of the 19th century. A number of Jinnah's confidants and colleagues from the Muslim League and the Congress attended the marriage ceremony. The marriage ceremony took place in accordance with Sharia Islamic, Shia Islamic law. Before the ceremony, Rati was formally converted to Shia Islam. The reason for this, contrary to the accusations leveled against Jinnah was not out of any religious conviction or bigotry, but merely a formality because of law. Either both parties had to renounce their faith or one party had to convert to the other party's religion. Since Jinnah was a member of the Imperial Legislative Council of India, representing the Muslims of Bombay, it had to be her converting to Islam. It was a conversion of convenience and certainly not based on any conviction. In real terms, the couple was almost agnostic or indifferent to faith. She was given the Muslim name Maryam, but the name was never used, and neither Jinnah nor his equally strong-willed daughter, Dina, would ever refer to her as that. Interesting, interestingly, in Pakistan, one hears of a certain Maryam Jinnah from time to time by hardcore ideologues of the so-called ideology of Pakistan. She's presented as a pious Muslim convert, but in reality, it was always to the contrary. Some of, the, some of Jinnah's Hindu critics in India also use this fact of conversion as an example of an early Muslim love jihad on part of India's archetypal villain. It seems an ideological appropriation that seems to satisfy communal interests on both sides. In reality, as MC Chagla points out in his book, Roses in December, life at South Court was far from an orthodox Islamic lifestyle as possible from artwork suited to Rati's eclectic global states, tastes, English and French classic classics adorning the shelves and dietary habits of the couple, which included ham sandwiches, late night dinner parties with fine wines and champagne. The Jinnahs lived a cosmopolitan religious life in Bombay's golden age under the Raj. To be sure, of course, Jinnah was always a disciplined drinker, never imbibing more than necessary, but he certainly did not share his co-religionist fervor for dietary restrictions. 
I can go on and just give give you a flavor of what he was in terms of his approach towards religion, which is what I kind of am going to talk about. You know how it turned that he turned to making Pakistan at the end. Uh, thank you, Yasser, um, and excuse me my uh, technical uh, incompetence. Um, let me go on to ask a few questions. Um, I think that was a it was an interesting and good selection. And by the way, before I launch a few questions, I want to say that it's it's a very readable and very uh, relevant uh, text. Um, let me let me just shoot a couple of questions. Um, uh, Yasser, I'd like to know what interests you about uh, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. What um, what a, what appealed to you or what questions did you have that kept you interested? Well, first of all, I think as a Pakistani, I was confronted with the, the identity crisis when I was in the U.S. as a student, as a college student back in 19, late 1990s, early 2000s. I felt that I had to understand where the country came from because one naturally came across Indians and there were debates about national identity. So when I started looking at Jinnah, I... You know, and obviously we had seen Jinnah on, on, you know, sort of our walls in those gray portraits and stuff like that. Mm. But uh, when I read more about Jinnah, I was fascinated by the fact that here's a man who um, dedicated most of his life to a united India. Most of his life, he was committed to united India. And the reason why I read out this passage in particular was because I wanted to show that Jinnah it's himself wasn't an orthodox Muslim. So what happened that Jinnah stood up and presented the Muslim case so staunchly and strongly in the last decade of his life? So this is something that's always appealed to me about Jinnah, other than the fact that he's the founding father of Pakistan and I think he has a certain formative uh, appeal to all Pakistanis because he is one of the master signifiers as it were of Muslim Pakistani sociology. So that's essentially what appealed to me uh, in Mr. Jinnah's personality. It's kind of a, it's kind of an enduring paradox, isn't it? I mean, but um, oh, I can see, I can see why that, 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 because this is not your, this is not your first book. This is your, actually your second book on Jinnah, isn't it? It is, yes. Right, let me, uh, let me uh, carry on. Um, I was curious also about when you writing this, uh, being the second book. Um, what, what, how did you envision your audience? Who did you, who did you anticipate would be reading? Perhaps, perhaps in contrast to your first one. Well, I, I think the audience that I was looking at, um, yes, of course, there's the Pakistani audience, and you know, you want to write a book of history for them, biography of the founding father. But my main audience, the audience that I was looking for were the, it was the Indian audience. And the reason I wanted to write it for the Indian audience was I wanted to explain to the Indians that it was not out of some malice or some you know, dying hatred that you know, we came to the idea of Pakistan, we as in Pakistanis or Muslims who made Pakistan, but that there were real causes and the fact that a person like Jinnah, who was, you know, for most of his life, quite irreligious, who uh, stood for Hindu-Muslim unity, who was the only politician, despite everything, the only politician to be called the best ambassador of Hindu-Muslim unity. Mm. What is it that forced him at the very end of his life? You see, when he was 64 years old, 
what caused him to take this 180 degree turn and turn to turn to this muslim demand for a pakistan so i wanted indians to understand that i want them to understand why this is the case so that you know all this all these midnight furies as it uh, one of the authors right writes mm-hmm. uh, in his book the midnight furies of 14th and 15th august 1947 can finally end so i i'm trying to contribute just a little bit to that debate speaking of which um i was curious uh, you know if you could if you could uh, pick that up a little bit and and tell us a little bit about um this debate that you're engaging in of course many there are many uh this is not the first biography um this is not even this is not even your first work on jinnah but given how much work there is on him f- from different camps uh where do you see your, where do you see your position or where do you see this work in relation to other sort of uh, uh how do you see it in relation or in dialogue with other texts or uh, other references to jinnah well i think uh, one of the things that my book does um is that it gives a holistic picture um i t- talk in detail about his cases his um his various uh, positions that he took very early on in his career when he was 30 40 years old and then how he developed as a politician then he evolved as a politician um ultimately in terms of other texts i think my own view is very close to or is influenced especially about partition is influenced by dr aisha jalal's book the soul spokesman uh i think she has made a very uh her her contribution to the understanding of partition is unimpeachable you know that's just my view i i know people disagree with her, but i think that she is uh, her view of partition is unimpeachable um and the fact that her central argument that the fact that jinnah was ready till the very end to settle on something less than a sovereign pakistan provided muslims would get safeguards within a united india that is something that has always appealed to me that explains the whole thing uh pakistan itself was an option uh which was within the realm of possibility but it was um it was imposed on muslims or muslim league ultimately because the the settlement could not be reached so that's how i there are other texts of course um you know there's the creating a new medina uh, which is by uh, uh venkat dolipala who's uh, written and he his whole idea is that you can't look at pakistan in for the pakistan movement in you know sort of only by jena but you have to look at other angles of it as well my concern however is specifically on how jena was approaching the matter and because mine is a biography i am not looking to go broader than that my pre- previous work only spoke about his politics I mean, that kind of uh kind of brings out these different uh as opposed of approaches or different camps um there's a a british camp a sort of a british school of thinking about jinnah in pakistan there's certainly an indian camp uh you know as you as you're alluding to uh, of course you know and there there's a there are a, there's a pakistani camp or maybe more than one pakistani approach to thinking about jinnah and i and i wonder where where do you feel do you feel yours stands in any particular camp or do you think this is sort of um maybe creating a new path or a, or a new kind of a, a standpoint or position well like you said there are several pakistani points of view about pakistani camps 
I think my camp is very simple. Uh, is is very clear. Sorry, sorry, pardon me. Not simple, clear. Um, so it's basically that Pakistan ought to be a normal democratic state, and that Jinnah envisaged it as a normal democratic state. He did not envisage it as a theocracy, and unfortunately, Pakistan has become a theocracy. So that's uh, the camp, and I'm coming from that camp. I. Uh, one of the reviewers wrote that I haven't sort of uh, embellished or, uh, you know, attacked or um, vilified or, um, you know, it's not a work of hagiography as well. Um, sorry. Um, and um, so basically uh, what my camp essentially is, I am an admirer of Mr. Jinnah. I don't, uh, I don't deny that. I'm uh, uh, the reason why I became a lawyer the reason why I went to Lincoln's Inn uh, is all because of Jinnah. So I am writing as an admirer, but I'm I'm trying to be balanced. Sure, sure. I'm just sort of curious about being balanced, and given that your publisher uh, is based in India, um, how did you? Uh, sorry, let me let me re reframe that. How did you, <clears throat> how did you? decide to work with Pan Macmillan? How did you decide to work with an Indian publisher? Was it because you wanted to approach, you wanted to reach the Indian audience? Well, it was uh, entirely by chance, actually. Um, I had a brain tumor surgery and I had gotten, uh, you know, before I went into the surgery, this was in 2018, 2017, pardon me. Um, I had received a call just before I was going into surgery, received a call from an Indian agent and he wanted me, he said, he wanted me to write on uh, Jinnah. And this is the reason was that I'd written an earlier book and, you know, I'd been on it for a while, mm -hmm. uh, considered Jinnah-obsessed uh, lawyer. That's what people called me and stuff. Um, so he said this and I, I agreed. I, I said, if I survive the surgery, I'll write the book for you. So when I came out, he pitched the book. Uh, this uh, Indian uh, agent, his name is Kanishka Gupta. He pitched the book to Pan Macmillan and Penguin. Both of them agreed, but Pan Macmillan had better um, a better deal for me uh, and a better plan as well. So I chose Pan Macmillan uh, as a result. And the, it's not necessarily the reason why it is, the reason why it was published in India is because Pan Macmillan has its offices in India. Mm -hmm. uh, so Pan Macmillan itself is publishing the book. So that's an international. Excellent, excellent. I'm curious. Um, you mentioned your health, and you do uh, you do write about it very briefly in the epilogue. Um, how did that affect your your writing process? How did that affect your your the way you went about this? Well, I thought I had to have you know it was question of urgency then um, because I had two surgeries, not one, and I wrote the book in the middle of those two surgeries. Oh, so I always yeah. knew it will come back. Uh, so I, and I, you know, one never knows. So there was a certain sense of urgency. So I finished the book in a few months. Wow. That was, that's quick. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredibly fast. Okay. Uh, I could go on. I could go on, you know, for, for hours. Um, I was wondering if there were some questions from the audience. I'd like to open it up. Um, Yasser, if you're if you're agreeable to that, absolutely, absolutely, would love to. 
Okay, let me check the chat. Let's see the chat or the Q&A, see if there are any questions that have come up. Um, okay, there's a question. I see a couple of ones. Uh, there's a question about Jinnah's first marriage. What about Jinnah's first marriage? Yeah, Jinnah was married. Yes, he, he was married earlier when he was about 15 years old and his uh, 15 years old, his, his mother was very worried about him going to England and marrying a white woman. So he ma she married her off. Uh, sorry, she married him off mm. to uh, a, a person from or a girl from uh, one of the Gujarati families from Paneli. And unfortunately, that uh, wife of his died when he was in London. So she was, you know, both his mother and wife passed away when he was still in London. And they mm. were in Karachi, of course. So that's his first marriage. It wasn't, uh, and it's it's only a blimp, unfortunately. That woman, I it was it must have been terrible for that girl to, you know, have lost her husband immediately because you know he was off to London. Uh, but such was the you know, the Gujarati Muslim families, such was the, you know, sort of, this is what happened back then. Right, kinship practices. And, and you mentioned that, I mean, not to, not to, you know, not, not to spoil it for anyone, but it, it, it does come up later in the book. So uh, if anyone uh, buys the book, I would expect to, to read a little bit about that analysis uh, in the book as well. Something definitely worth keeping an eye, eye out for. Um, another question that I'm seeing is, um, Yasser, do you feel that the real Jinnah, uh, do you feel the real Jinnah has been represented? Or do you feel that, it, that, it, that, his, that the real Jinnah has perhaps been failed to be represented? I think Pakistan has certainly covered it up. I think Pakistan has created this particular image of him which is not all, always true. I mean, there are certain things that are true. I mean, the man had, you know, his his sense of uh, his his uh, integrity, his sense of dignity. Uh, you know, the fact that he was financially incorruptible uh, or otherwise incorruptible, and that he was not a windsock, just turning, you know, in whatever direction the wind was blowing. And these kind of things, uh, these kinds of things, are absolutely true. But then there's the other subset, right? I mean, so, so, so superset of, you know, the religious identity, as it were. Now, Jinnah, as you might know, was from, uh, he was a Aga Khani, Hoja Muslim, then he converted to Shia, Atna, Ashari Muslim. So he always saw himself as a minority within a minority. And that was the reason why he was so, um, so passionate about championing minorities cause and that's that comes out later on as well i mean just not muslim minorities but when pakistan was created he was mm. very very concerned about non-muslim minorities in pakistan I and mean, he called himself the protector general of hindus in pakistan and uh, his famous 11 august speech he says very clearly that he wanted uh, a state where religion would be a personal matter and the state would be impartial to the faith of an individual and the reason he gave a reason for it. it was not out of he gave the reason that if you don't you'll further divide yourself and that had this not been the case uh india would never have been united uh, divided had there been no such uh differences earlier it would have you know stayed united otherwise right right 
Okay, excellent. Very interesting. Um, we've got lots of questions. I'll try to do one more. I think we're running a little bit short. Let me try to field a couple of them together if possible. Um, there's a question about uh, the role of Alama Iqbal playing in motivating Jannah to return to Pakistan from exile to lead the Muslim League. Um, could you say could you say a little bit about uh, the role Alama Iqbal played in no, I, Jannah's I political life? I think that's the kind of uh, you know. Unfortunately, I couldn't find any evidence of Alama Iqbal playing a role in that. He later on wrote letters to Jinnah when he was already in India. Uh, when he'd come back in 1934, 1935, there are letters from 1937. There's a correspondence between, this correspondence between Ilama Iqbal and Jinnah that comes around 1937. But coming back, Jinnah coming back from London, you know, Ilama Iqbal, there's no evidence that he had anything to do with it. Wow. And, and though, though you're right, I mean, films, etc., have shown Ilama Iqbal going and talking to him. But none of that is, I mean, the, he was at some mosque at uh, an event, a Muslim event at, in Southfields, uh, Jinnah, in London. I mean, you're familiar with London, I, since you are there. Uh, there was an event, uh, Muslim event in uh, Southfields, London as a Muslim. I mean, we don't consider them Muslims anymore. Um, but it was an Ahmadi event, uh, and there the the Ahmadi um, leader or whatever he actually asked him. He's like, oh. so the, if, if anyone there was, so there's that's there, that's there. And then Jinnah also read uh, Grey Wolf, which was uh, uh, the book by uh, Armstrong about Kemal Ataturk. And I think there was certain there's something about that book that inspired him to go back to India and start, sort of lead uh, his people towards a certain destiny. Mm. Okay, right. I'd like to ask a, a very pertinent question. I mean, they all, they all are, but one thing is, uh, one thing has caught my, one question has caught my attention and I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile um, posing this one. Uh, why did this question comes uh, from uh, Zainab Ramji. Why did Jinnah want a separate Pakistan at the last minute? His initial, his initial uh, speeches or outlook was very liberal. So how did Pakistan become so rigid? So I guess two questions in one. Well, I think, um, yes, Jinnah, for the last minute, he wanted separate Pakistan because he was denied sort of, there was no settlement. And uh, there was no constitution. Jinnah had this idea as a lawyer. He had this idea of contractual relationship between communities, which would then be um, embodied in a constitutional arrangement. And then there would be a relationship between Hindus and Muslims that would lead to uh, United India. When settlement on that failed, on that principle, then Jinnah went towards Pakistan. So it was always a plan B nationalism, as it were. Uh, it was plan B, option B, or as they call it in negotiation, BATNA, uh, best next alternative, or some such. Um, that was the uh, that was where Jinnah was coming from. So that's the reason. Uh, as far as, like I said, his initial thing was he was very liberal, very secular in the sense that he wanted in a united India. He was the only politician to be called the best ambassador of Hindu Muslim unity. The only politician, and Gandhi is not called that, 
Azad is not called that. Nehru is not called that. No other leader is called that. It's Jinnah who's called that. And yet, mm-hmm. this is the same person who goes around. So that is the, and you'll have to read my book. Of course, of course. And I, I think there are lots more, uh, lot, lot, so much material that we simply cannot capture in, in these 30 minutes. Uh, perhaps I, I think we're moving towards the end. If I can throw out one more question, which I think is very interesting and relevant. Um, gosh, where did it go? Yes, um, I'm going to paraphrase this if the, if the, the person who asked the question doesn't mind. Uh, you, you give a lot of insight, Yasser, about Pakistan uh, historically and even in a way in a, on contemporary Pakistan. But the, one of the amazing things about your book is that you're doing something very similar um, for India as well. You're giving us an insight into India and perhaps India, contemporary India, um, I think would be a good, would be a very appropriate audience for your book. And if you, if you want to share a little bit about uh, how you see India today um, and the relevance of, of this book uh, and the relevance of these questions for, for contemporary India. But I think one of the things uh, about India is, and this, this might not go down well with the Indians always, um, one of the things with Indians is that this is what you've seen under Modi right now. This is just the sort of the, what Modi's done, he's taken off the facade. In, India, unfortunately, was always a casteist, priest-ridden society, just as Pakistan is, it's a priest-ridden society. But India was always a priest-ridden society and it was a caste-majority state. Even the finest of the finest sort of, you know, Jawaharlal Nehru had to put Pandit next to his name in order to get elected and in order to get legitimacy. So that was the case. But what Modi is doing now, he's taken off the entire, I mean, the, the Cambridge polish of Jawaharlal Nehru is gone. Uh, what you have uh, is an outright Hindutva government um, you know, Savarkar and, you know, the sort of the, the Gandhian Nehru paradigm, as it were, has now given way to the mass majoritarian sentiment that Jinnah was scared of. Um, I think, I must add that I think India and Pakistan would have been much better off had uh, Jinnah, Gandhi, Nehru uh, would have worked together and would have managed to, and that Jinnah wanted it. I mean, that's what I show in my book, Jinnah wanted it. Um, if they would have worked together and managed to somehow settle their differences, that would have worked out for everyone. Uh, it would have resulted in, you know, for at, what would, at this time, what we have are two majoritarian states. And both of them are, I, I should say Pakistan worse than India, but we are both, persecuting our minorities, trampling civil liberties, um, and Pakistan is an outright theocracy. So it would have all been better if, if these three gentlemen, and they were fine leaders. I mean, you know, they could have gone down in history like uh, the US founding fathers. Unfortunately, unlike uh, Alexander Hamilton Jefferson, uh, who, by the way, Alexander Hamilton Jefferson in England, or oh, sorry, in the US, hated each other. You know, but they found a way to work with each other. Mm. So if if only Nehru and Jinnah would have found a way to work with each other and, you know, Ambedkar and Gandhi, they had differences too. So if they had worked together and found a way and, you know, Pakistan could have been a mansion within a large mansion. You know, it didn't need to be 
a separate sovereign state. It could be an autonomous state within and talking about Ilama Iqbal's and Ilama Iqbal came up earlier. Ilama Iqbal's idea in 1930s uh, famous speech that he gave at Allahabad was of a, of a province or a fed, federation within United India. So I think it would have worked. It would have worked out really well for everyone. Uh, unfortunately, the idea was so cabinet mission plan. That's the key. Cabinet mission plan. Jinnah accepted. Muslim League accepted, but Congress rejected. Had cabinet mission plan been allowed to work, India would have stayed united with the Pakistan in it. Within you know, it's it's a kind of like Quebec. in canada or you know there's certain examples is where you're saying scotland uh scotland for example has a first minister and yes. you know has some representation and has its own uh parliament as well so there were certain there were so many models that could have been followed but in, unfortunately we decided to go down the northern ireland ireland route uh the creating oasters but let me tell you uh h v hodson was the reforms commissioner he wrote very clearly in 1940 1941 he said that what muslim league is asking for is not uh and forget uh, forgive my pronunciation ulsters or ulsters whatever it's called so it's not the uh, uh, separation of ireland and uh, northern ireland but mm. muslim league wants uh, a federation where they would have certain autonomy and where muslims would not feel like cinderella without with only a radio in working in under you know sort of in the i don't know there was some analogy gave about cinderella versus you know her two ugly sisters so that's what you know sort of I, the idea that was there was of having an autonomous muslim region within united india and jinnah was ready to do you know mm, mm. and there's there's that there's that in the book and there's much more so strongly recommend the book uh thank you uh, yasser for giving us your time and for such an amazing book uh, i recommend looking at it on uh, i think it's available at bookshop.org and if not it's definitely available on amazon amazon.co.uk and amazon.com as well um let me take the opportunity to bring in uh, sajid and we will i will bid uh, goodbye for now Zakhalakhair Montsir for that uh, introduction and interview uh, with with Yasif I can ask Yasif to hang on just for a minute or so. Uh we'll put the links up um on the chat just now uh to uh Yasir's uh, book. Um uh, is it uh, available uh widely Yasir how, how do people get hold of of your book? It's on Amazon. Amazon it's on Facebook. Amazon. In fact the only place it isn't available is in Pakistan. <laughs> okay that's all right. Well that's that's a very interesting question yeah. is that is that by has it been has it been banned or what what's what's happened no no it it hasn't been banned it's just that pakistan and india relationship uh, relationship I, i didn't know that would happen so i would have tried another place but india pakistan relations are such that books from india at the moment it pak books from pakistan to india and books from india to pakistan are embargoed so they're not right. allowed yeah gosh it's um <laughs> adds to the uh The, the 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 interesting times in which we live and how how poignant it is uh, how important it is for us to look back and try and understand the figures that set up these uh, initial borders uh, i mean the, as i said there's been quite a few questions that have been asked yeah so one of them I wanted to just just finish off on if you, if you, if you wouldn't mind um uh, somebody's asked or made a point that there's lots of different things that have said about jinnah himself and of course many books that have been written 
And this, this what, what, what many Muslims or practicing Muslims perceive, this contradictory uh, figure, one who at, at one time he's very secular, but at the, similar, at the same time simultaneously trying to create this independent state. I know independent um, Muslim state now, I know you've covered this, but why is it you think that Muslims um, still cannot uh, understand a state that is uh, based on secular thinking or that, 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 that uh, there is, a, to a degree, a separation of state and religion? And, and why is it that we still struggle with these concepts and struggle with this and uh, eventually lean towards very, uh, um, uh, uh, well, theocracy to a level which uh, is, is very uh, um, um, narrow in, in, in most respects? Well, I think, you know, there's a, so in terms of his contradictions, I, I kind of tried to explain that in the mm -hmm. book, but the question of uh, Muslims, it's just, I'm going to say it, I'm going to sound like, a, you know, some sort of a Muslim, uh, so you, the West calls it Muslim apologist. But I'll say this, if they studied, if Muslims would study the Islamic history, mm -hmm. you know, and look at, you know, the Islamic Renaissance as it were, we did have a Renaissance as well, uh, you know, and that's the golden age of Islam. Theocracy is not central to Islam. Islam actually does not have uh, a clergy and therefore Islam by definition cannot be a theocracy. So the fact is that Muslims need to read Islamic history. And unfortunately, the confusion that has been created by the clergy uh, in terms of uh, Islam is such, and, and this has been more so the case in the, in, since the 1970s, when uh, this whole religion issue has been blown out of, you know, it, it has been taken out of that idea that, you know, it's a positive liberationist theology to, you know, something that's become a shackle almost. So, yeah, and, and in terms of Pakistan, we see that. I mean, today, you know, you have a banned political party on the streets, uh, you know, asking for the French ambassador to be expelled um, and so that, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, I think we need a reformation. We need uh, an age of enlightenment, the Muslims. Um, and that when, when that happens, then it's happening. I mean, it's, you know, our process is actually... Uh, faster because of the social media and the internet age. Mm. So I think it'll change. Well, Jazakallah Khair uh, for your opinions and uh, thoughts today uh, on the book. Uh, certainly uh, do recommend people to, to read up and as, as Yasser has mentioned to you, we've, we've, we've had one, one question that's just been posed, which actually feeds into that, which is um, this point about the slogan, Pakistan, Pakistan ka matlab kya hai? Um, in you know, la ilaha illallah. How is this true? And I think you've already answered that. That that um, again, there's this constant need for um, uh, to be set up in some uh, Sharia form. But actually, uh, yeah. So we don't have to look uh, much further than the Prophet Sallallahu life himself. When we see that when he wrote the manifesto for uh, um, uh, the constitution of Medina, when he first set up the state, there is no mention of religion. At all, there is only mention Absolutely. of Absolutely, you know, there is nothing about religion. It's a and Muslims and Jews are considered one ummah in that under that document. If you think about it, but other question, Pakistan ka matlab kya la ilaha? Jinnah actually completely distanced himself from the slogan. 
and he would he knew that you know he, he said it very it was khalik dina hall december 1947 he said this slogan you might have used to catch a few votes but i have nothing to do with it muslim league doesn't have anything to do with it but that said i mean, he was very clear you know not only did he want a modern secular state he was very clear that he wanted uh, the secular state that he wanted was not in contradiction to islam mm. you know so that's a very modernist vision jinnah had a very modern i mean it might be people other time absolutely seen. yeah uh, as always we see that our forefathers are um uh, were further ahead in, in their thinking than than even we are now uh, so 80 odd years later uh, uh, uh but the, the the debate i'm sure will rage on it'll rage on around the world no matter what it is whether it's egypt whether it is you know even for uk muslims here or american muslims of how we uh, form our thinking and understanding it will it will continue on but it's good to know that we have uh, great shoulders uh, to 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 stand on and 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 uh, and look on and i think um i'll i'll, I'll finish on this and jazakallah khair yasser for your uh, thoughts today very much look forward to reading the book and also to reading a bit more about history and understanding our religion better which will make us better muslims overall uh, shukran and assalamu alaikum For more podcasts search for RR365 wherever you get your podcasts